0: Thanksgiving is upon us, and that means it's time to stop our complaining and our worrying and to set aside our anger against our neighbor just because he tried to ruin the country forever by supporting the most corrupt political hack ever to sell an economically crippling and politically enslaving platform of eternal misery that any idiot could have seen was a looming disaster for anything and everything we hold dear. What was I talking about? Oh yeah, we're setting aside our anger at that gormless schmuck and taking some time to think about all the things we're grateful for. For me, this Thanksgiving, as I kneel to say my prayers in the very place where I lost consciousness the night before, I'll be saying a special thanks that I was born and raised in the greatest country on the face of the earth and only moved here after... (laughs) after that unfortunate incident with my 15-year-old cousin Amalia who told me I better emigrate before her uncle Farouk until her uncle Farouk calmed down. Sorry about that. I I will get through the rest of this. I'll also be saying thanks that I live in the land of the free and the home of the brave where men are men more often than not and women are probably women. Though you might want to double check before you do anything (laughs) involving leather pants and lotion. This Thanksgiving, I'll be thankful that I... I have enough to eat, and I'll remember that I want to share that bounty with the hungry children around the world, though not as much as I want the new Xbox One, because Gears of Four looks absolutely amazing, so maybe I'll keep help the hungry children of the world nearer to Christmas, when I'll probably feel a little more guilty because of all that stuff about the baby Jesus, although I bet if the baby Jesus were here, he'd want the new Xbox Two, especially after he saw the previews for Gears of War 4. Another thing I'll be thankful for this year is the presidency of Barack Obama. Because through his leadership and his intelligence and his personal decency, he fundamentally transformed this country into a place where a Democrat couldn't get elected street sweeper if street sweeper were an elected position, in which case a Democrat would probably be suited to the job and still couldn't get elected. And finally, this Thanksgiving, I want to give a special thanks to all of you, my audience, because you make this show possible by watching and listening, instead of getting a job or entering that work release (laughs) program— The, the warden keeps telling you about, or finally completing rehab so that, you're, uh, so that your wife can come back to you without having to worry about waking up in the middle of the night to find you standing over her bed with an axe in your hands and a sad expression on your face. It's people like you who keep this show and many of our finer correctional facilities in business. So happy Thanksgiving to you all, and remember, if you're going to drink and drive, keep your eyes shut, because you don't want to see what's going to happen next. <laughs> Trigger warning, I'm Andrew <laughs> Clayman, <laughs> And this is The Andrew Clayman Show. I the hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, dipsy topsy the world is a zing It's a wonderful Good day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray, hooray. Oh, hooray. Yeah, it's been a while. I was on a roll, you know. I must have gotten through like four or five of those without cracking up. In a row. Reset the clock to zero. All right, we're, we're here finally. And it's mailbag day. Woohoo! Yay, it's mailbag day. All your questions answers. Answers are guaranteed 100% correct. And we have our special Andrew Clavin Show sign. I have my hat with the buckle on. I always wondered if they wore their buckles on their hat, did their pants fall down? It's just no, I don't just a little history question for you all. all right. So, here's the thing that I have learned over this season, over this political season. Here's the thing I've learned about politics. What I've learned about politics is nobody learns anything. Everybody just does exactly the same thing over and over and over again. So, if people like you look back and now the Democrats are sort of saying, "Oh, you know, we were hysterical about Mitt Romney. We were hysterical about John McCain. But now, now we see Donald Trump and we're hysterical, you know? And it never occurs to them that they're just hysterical. That's all there is to it, you know? It's them. It's them. The other, but the on the other side, on our side, you know, when before the election, the day before the election, my wife was making some remark about how obviously Hillary Clinton was going to win. And I said to her, you know, I must be the dumbest person in America because I'm the only person I know who doesn't know what's going to happen. You know, I said, I I don't, I I think Hillary Clinton's going to win. Everybody keeps telling me that, but I don't know that's going to happen because it's such a weird year, you know? So now we have this Trump presidency and everybody's hysterical. People are hysterical on the left because, uh, you know, he's a Nazi or whatever. You know, Steve Bannon is eating Jews in his spare time. And and people are hysterical on the right because everything he does that smacks of not being an orthodox right winger, which he's obviously not. We knew that already. You know, they say, oh, my God, now he's going to do this and all this. I must be the dumbest guy in America because I am the only person who cannot tell what this guy is going to do because his words don't mean anything, you know? I mean, this was one of my complaints about him along the way was that he says things and then, eh, you know, yeah, I said that, but we're not going to do it. So yesterday he goes and meets with the New York Times, which, first of all, he said he wasn't going to do, right? We were laughing about this because he sent out a tweet saying, oh, the failing New York Times. I'm not going to meet with the failing New York Times. Forget the fail. Then he went and met with the failing New York Times. So – and and he's been, he's been lambasting them this whole time about they're liars and they so unfair, very unfair, very unfair. So Maggie Haberman was one of their Times correspondents, you know, uh, works – this is, by the way, we're talking about the former newspaper, the New York Times, right? Just for those of you who don't remember when it, there used to be a newspaper called the New York Times. Maggie Haberman, who was one of the correspondents who covered Trump – she says he came and it was all friendly. She gave this interview uh, to CNN. This is the first Haberman
1: cut. It was a very cordial meeting. Look, he started out defensive. His arms were crossed very tightly as he delivered a, a pretty um, calm in tone diatribe against our coverage. He said that he thought that of all the papers that we had been the most unfair, um, that it was very tough, that we were the toughest, um, you know, and then said, and this is what surprised me, that he said, uh, believe that, uh, having a good relationship with us would make governing easier for him in terms of what he would like to do. Um,
0: and so, so all of a sudden he's friendly. He calls the newspaper a great, great American jewel, a world jewel. This is according, according to the story in the times, what happened to the failing New York times? You know, well, suddenly it's a world, it's a world jewel. I mean, I, you know, I wonder does it bother all the people like like those Nazis we watched yesterday going, hell victory, hell Trump, hell you know and you go like, like what what is what does he even believe? You know, why you know, it's one thing I, I get that they're crazy Nazis. I get that, you know, the guy's talking about I love the part where he, that guy was what, what was his name, Richard Spencer. That he's talking about the sun people. We're the sun people, in our blood is victory. <laughs> it's like ten thousand years of civilization, then this guy's acting like he lives in a jungle, you know. Because we are sun people, that's why we are better than blacks. You know, I could just see some black college professor, you know, thinking that, what the hell is this man talking about, the sun people? <laughs> he, sounded like, he sounded like a primitive. So all, what are they so happy about? Nobody knows what this guy is going to do. So now, first of all, play Trump talking, but this is before the election, at the debate. This is what Trump says he's going to do to Hillary Clinton if he wins.
2: If I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation, because there has never been so many lies, so much deception, there has never been anything like it. And we're gonna have a special prosecutor. When I speak, I go out and speak, the people of this country are furious. In my opinion, the people that have been long-term workers at the FBI are furious. There has never been anything like this where emails and you get a subpoena, you get a subpoena, and after getting the subpoena, you delete thirty-three thousand emails, and then you acid wash them or bleach them, as you would say—a very expensive process. So we're going to get a special prosecutor, and we're going to look into it because you know what—people have been, their lives have been destroyed for doing one fifth of what you've done, and it's a disgrace. And honestly, you ought to be ashamed of Secretary yourself. Clinton. Okay. So now
0: here's Maggie Haberman. What happened? They asked him. This is the first question she says she asked him This is cut 10.
1: I began uh, actually with that question uh, at the session and uh, asked him to clarify. If he was talking about the emails and the Clinton Foundation. He was talking about both in terms of backing away from an investigation. Um, he made clear that he recognized there is a, a limit to you know, what power there is in the White House. In fact, the president is supposed to have nothing to do with this. In terms of the Department of Justice, is supposed to be independent, which was always the criticism of the uh, the FBI investigation into Clinton. Was it, you know his his and others' argument was this must have been politicized. Um, he said that he thinks that she has suffered enough, that she has been through. I'm paraphrasing here, but that she has been through too much. This was a brutal campaign, uh, and then said that the Clinton Foundation, some say, has done good work, which is a little bit different than the you know it's a it's a it's a scam line that we heard from him and Rudy Giuliani for most of the final weeks of the campaign.
0: Okay. So now that's off the table. And as as Trump himself said, and this was kind of underreported, I think, they kind of made it sound, even the New York Times was kind of making fun of Trump for saying this, because of course, the Justice Department is supposed to be independent and make their decisions independently, and the attorney general should make this decision. But, of course, it never bothered the New York Times when Loretta Lynch was sitting on a plane with Bill Clinton while they were investigating Hillary. That wasn't a big deal. But, okay, so, so he himself says he doesn't have the right to make this decision, but this is the way he feels. And Kellyanne Conway, his spokeswoman, says this is a signal he's sending. This is on, uh, on Morning Joe.
1: I think when the president-elect, who's also the head of your party now, Joe,
0: tells you before he's even inaugurated he doesn't wish to pursue these charges, it sends a very strong message, tone and content to the members. And I think Hillary Clinton still has to face the fact that a majority of Americans don't find her to be honest or trustworthy, but if Donald Trump can help her heal, then perhaps that's a good thing. Um, I do. Look, I think he's thinking of many different things as he prepares to become the president of the United States. And things that sound like the campaign aren't among them. (laughs) That's an amazing thing to say, though. He's thinking about many things as he prepares to become president of the United States. And things that sound like the campaign aren't among them. So, things that he promised you, things that the crowds, those, remember those massive crowds shutting locker up, locker up, locker up. Now, don't get me wrong. I think this is a good thing. I don't think he should prosecute Hillary Clinton. I mean, play Krauthammer. Krauthammer explains why.
3: I think it's the right thing. Procedurally, not quite, but this is the equivalent of the, him saying, uh, issuing a pardon. And there are a lot of people who are saying, but what about justice here? Well, the point of the pardon power, which is always rather odd in any constitution, is to allow political expediency or, if you like, reasons of state, to trump justice. Obviously, if you can issue a pardon, you're going around justice, but you're saying some things for the country are more important, like the Nixon pardon, He might have been guilty. He never was tried. But it was done so that the country wouldn't have to suffer that long national nightmare anymore. And it was a right thing to do, which I think many people today who objected at the time recognize. I think it's right to do it. You put that behind us. Yes, there are probably offenses which are uh, prosecutable. Maybe she would be convicted. But that's not what we want to do. We do not want to national political opponents putting each other in jail so even though procedurally he's not supposed to to say this because he's not the one who would decide whether there would be a special prosecutor it's the equivalent of saying when I'm sworn in I would issue a pardon and that's I think the right thing to do. So
0: I I agree with this and I agree you know Gerald Ford essentially ended his political career lost the election basically on the basis of giving a pardon to Richard Nixon but you're right in a country that prides itself on the peaceful transfer of power you don't put your political opponents in jail unless they're out there you know shooting people or whatever and you certainly don't go out of your way to prosecute them and again it's not trump's decision or shouldn't be trump's de- decision but it's it's just it's just the easy way that the promises get thrown away that I just I just wonder because look I'm a reluctant Trump supporter I, and I, and by the way I'm still I'm still really happy I voted for Donald Trump I think we dodged a bullet I really do I think we dodged a bullet I think having that the corrupt Democrat machine that Obama c- constructed out of the IRS and the Justice Department and all the rest having that taken over by someone who is inherently money corrupt like Hillary Clinton would have been a disaster I think this political correctness thing is a disaster I think identity politics is a disaster I think the Army has been transformed into a social experiment. And needs to get back to the business of killing people, which is what our army is meant to do, breaking stuff and killing people. You know, all those things I think Donald Trump will help us do. But does it doesn't it bother these guys who are so passionate about Trump? Doesn't it bother him when he just changes his mind when they're out there screaming, lock her up, lock her up? And then it's like, eh, not so much. Not so, I I just I just wonder about it. I mean, it's what your word means. And that, in a way, you know, the um, the Hillary Clinton thing was the least of it, because here's Maggie Haberman, this correspondent for The New York Times. Here she is saying uh, a couple of other things that he says. This is her on the on the big news.
1: I think two things. I think that um, uh, him sort of retreating from some of the most extreme uh, positions he had taken. And again, they're retreating. I, I'm still not quite clear where he is on some of them. But on climate change, he allowed for the possibility uh, You know, said he thinks there is some connectivity with his words. Uh, between humans and climate change, that's very different than what he had said. You know, he he had this tweet uh, many many years ago, or not not that many, but a number of years ago, about how climate change was some kind of a hoax. Um, and, and he you know suggested that he was open um, to the Paris Accords. He was a little a little more muted on that. He also basically said, you know, um, yes, I, I'm I'm still at my business. I'm still doing things, and declared that it's not possible for the president to have a conflict interest, just because anything could be a conflict of interest. It's a pretty breathtaking statement. I mean, he said, and he is correct, that we have never had a situation with an incoming president with as sprawling uh, a set of business entanglements as he has. Um, It doesn't mean that the real estate holdings are vast or that the empire is vast, as I have seen one critic talk about it on Twitter, but it does mean there are a lot of different um, complications. You know, he used during the campaign the phrase blind trust, because saying I'm going to put in a blind trust and my children will run it. That is a, that is, those two things are mutually
3: exclusive.
0: Well, a couple of things on that, and we'll have the mailbag coming up, but we have to say goodbye to our friends on Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to The Daily Wire and hear the rest. And if you're a subscriber, you can ask questions even in real time. So again, suddenly the Paris Accords are okay? That, that's that is you know that is the climate change is you know a, a real thing i mean it was a hoax and now it's I, it just it just gets me because i mean these are the things you know gutting getting rid of obamacare which now he says oh he's going to keep the uh, you know existing conditions thing which basically is obamacare once you force insurance companies to pay to insure people who are already sick they can't live without the government paying them so that's that's already uh, kind of obamacare it's it's just it just is disturbing. I mean, as I say, I'm happy I voted for Trump. I think we dodged a bullet. But at the same time, I'm looking, I'm looking toward myself. I, I can't tell what he's going to do because his words don't mean anything. I cannot tell what he's going to do. I cannot tell. I mean, I know, you know we've all been worried uh, on the right that he's going to spend all this money and in infrastructure stuff. And Bannon was saying that in The Hollywood Reporter. I don't even know he's going to do that. I his words just have no connection to his actions and they all seem related to who he's in the room with at the time and who he is trying to please the thing about his business holdings this bothers everybody but me uh I first of all I think he's legally right I don't think the president can have a conflict of interest in that way he's got too much too many businesses to put them in a blind trust it's absurd it's just not going to happen he can't dump them or he'd lose you know billions because if he has to sell them then he, their their value goes down it's true, you know, people are comparing him to Hillary Clinton, but she was selling access. You know the difference here is that when people come to stay at the visit him at the White House, are they going to stay at his the Trump Hotel around the corner? You bet they are. You know, <laughs> I mean, you bet they are. So you know, yeah. Will he make money at this point? Who cares? The guy, you know, the guy is a multi-billionaire. I don't think it really matters, and I just I just don't think that this is really a conflict of interest. Do I want to? You know, do I think we should keep an eye on him and make sure he's not making you know deals with this to divvy up the Middle East with the with Russia so that he can start a chain of hotels in Moscow? Yeah, of course. But I mean, you know, aside from that, it just doesn't bother me. It's not the same thing. It is not the same thing as Hillary Clinton selling access and doing favors. It's going to be hard to vet because he's he's a rich guy, but we've just never had the situation before. So to me, again, and then, of course, he did denounce the alt-right Nazis, which I thought was good. Uh, He's defended Bannon. Uh, Well, we play him. He's play what Maggie Haberman said about Bannon.
1: He said that if he had learned that um, Steve Bannon was, you know, connected to, quote, unquote, alt-right, and this was, this was his phrasing, you know, then I wouldn't even have him work here. I mean, Bannon said in July that, that Breitbart is a platform for the alt-right. Um, so, you know, Trump said something like, you know, um, you know I want to know if stuff comes up, bring it to my attention. So it is true that he has, he has disavowed it. Um, I, I, I don't think it's going to satisfy um, his critics who are hoping that he will speak more forcefully. Just given what is a, a rise of hate crimes around the city um, and a rise in the anti-Semitic
0: attacks. Yeah, these people really care a lot about anti-Semitic attacks. When there were like protests in Chicago against you know calling for the destruction of Israel, they didn't even cover it. You know they don't cover the fact that on on college campuses around the country, uh, Jews are excluded from things and suffer hate crimes. You know it's it's very you know. Plus, plus, the fact that um, uh, all those Black Lives Matter people were visiting the White House, and what's his name, the Reverend Al Sharpton the Reverend Al Sharpton Jr., because we revere the Al, Shar- Al Sharpton Jr., you know, a guy with literal blood on his hands who's a total anti-Semite. He was showing up at the White House. He was good pals with Obama. Never bothered them at all. You know, the one thing that I don't want to see Trump do, and I worry about him because he obviously is a guy who loves to be loved, you know, I don't want to see him get into this apology game, you know? Yeah, should he disavow the alt-right? Of course he should. Who wants these guys showing up at the White House in their headdresses because they're sun people, you know, they're going to have their sun headdresses from the Aztecs, you know? We are here, the sun people are here to die, conquer or die, you know? It's like, thank you very much. Could you wait out in the Rose Garden? Yeah, we don't want those guys showing up at the White House. And yes, he should disavow them. If, if I were Donald Trump or if I were his advisor, what I would tell him to do is come out and make one speech. I would come out and say, you know, the press has held Republicans responsible for everything any Republican ever says and never held, holds uh, Democrats responsible for anything any Democrat ever says. I'm not gonna spend my presidency apologizing one time. I'm gonna tell you, I'm not a racist, I don't tolerate racism, that's it. This is the end of this conversation. I don't care what you think about my opinions after this. I don't care what you think about Steve Bannon. You didn't say anything about Al Sharpton Jr. Don't tell me about Steve Bannon. You know, that that's that's it. Other stuff that he was saying, you know, attacking Republicans, if he thinks that the New York Times is going to be nice to him, uh, he's out of his mind. You know, the the one thing, I will just end by saying this, that I I really don't know what this presidency is going to look like. If somebody held a gun to my head and asked me to bet, I'm thinking Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was a guy the press hated, he governed from the left, he was a very left-wing guy what happened the left reacted by moving further left and the right coalesced on the right and you know we wound up you know then watergate happened and it seemed like the republican party was over and we wound up with ronald reagan because the right had coalesced against nixon's left-wing governance And and it was interesting with Nixon because Nixon, when he was caught on tape, said these horrible racist things. I mean, things that are genuinely shocking. At the same time, he desegregated more uh, schools and places than anybody else. He was incredible civil rights president. He was a great civil rights president. And and so, you know, I'm I'm looking toward, uh, you know, a Donald Trump presidency that's going to be kind of the same thing. The guy governing from the left while the left hates him, while the right coalesces against him. And ultimately, I think Ben Shapiro will will be president. So we should probably start being nicer to him. Nah, forget it. All right, the mailbag. Ah, there she is. (laughs) <laughs> took me by, by surprise. Um, all right. From Andrew Campbell in Ogden, Utah. Benevolent Supreme Generalissimo Clavin. I love it when they get my proper uh, my proper titles. I recently encountered some discussions about the unabashedly pro-American movie American Sniper, and I got to wondering what are other quality pro-American movies that are worth supporting? So many classic war movies have an anti-American bent to them, and the political left dominates the popular culture. You know, This was one of the reasons I I virtually ended my Hollywood career, because I was so disgusted with the left for making movies attacking the Iraq War and the war in Afghanistan while our soldiers were in the field. That never happened before. You know, all the great movies uh, attacking Vietnam were made frequently by Vietnam veterans like Oliver Stone, after the war was over, after our guys were safely home, these were movies made by guys sitting around at the Chateau Marmont saying, uh, isn't this a terrible war? Let's make a movie against it, you know. And so while our guys were in the field, they were making propaganda for the enemy, and it was absolutely shameful. And I began writing about it, and my phone stopped ringing in a big big hurry. But I don't regret it because, you know, that was a shameful thing to do. So you're absolutely right. You know, you've got to look – you know, what, what are the great – Patriotic movies. Apollo thirteen is a great patriotic movie about the past. A uh, glory, the p- picture uh, we were talking about yesterday, uh, the Civil War movie, one a, a terrific movie and a terrific. Uh pro-American movie. Uh, Obviously, the old movies, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. You might want if you want a good uh, patriotic war movie, you watch The Sands of Iwo Jima. It actually holds up pretty well. You know, I watched it a few years back and thinking, oh, it's a John Wayne war movie. It's going to be all flag wavy and and corny, but it wasn't. It was really good. And Miracles, the other one about the hockey. uh, Yeah, that's a a very pro-American movie. All right. From Gavin Hedstrom. Hello, Mr. Claven. Not a political question at all, but you seem to me to be someone who maintains a fulfilling and happy marriage, an ecstatic marriage, actually. On my side, I've got, my wife, who knows, I, I just don't ask, you know. But <laughs> that, that said, what marital advice have you received, or would you give to someone who is early on in their marriage? Good question. And my advice is so simple that people never listen to it. They don't take it. They don't take it seriously. I, I have been married. I th- it's, all, it's coming up on 40 years. We've been together almost 40 years. We've had one argument uh, at a moment of terrible stress 25, 30 years ago, um, and I'm crazy about it. I mean, I, I have a relationship that single guys envy. Single guys envy my relationship with my w- wife, and I don't blame them because, you know. So one thing you gotta do is you gotta marry my wife. That's the first thing. you <laughs> otherwise, uh, if, you've, if you've missed that step, you're probably in trouble. But to tell you the truth, if I had to give one piece of advice, be polite. You know, be at least as polite and nice to your wife or your husband as you are to somebody, a waitress or a waiter in a restaurant. I mean, I see this constantly. People, you know, if a waiter or the waitress brings you the wrong thing, you don't say like, you idiot. You know, this isn't what I, this isn't what I ordered. If you do say that, you're probably kind of a schmuck, you know. You don't deserve to have a happy marriage. But no, what you say is, you know, I think you got this wrong. I'm sorry. try, Try treating your wife like that all the time. Not just sometimes, but all the time. If you get in a disagreement, you know, don't raise your voice and start arguing. Say, look, you know, I've got a problem here. This is not something I'm, you know, that, that stuff, that simple stuff, the pleases and the thank yous and, you know, stuff like that, that will get you through so much. It will get you through so much stress. You you will be shocked and surprised. It's not easy advice to follow because you're living with this person all the time, you know, but it's very helpful. All right, Dear stupendous boss king guy, Andrew Clavin, This is from Mark Fisher, who also knows some of my uh, some of my many titles. Um, I am a white man who voted for Donald Trump, and I am also hopelessly attracted to black women. <laughs> Being that the polls I've seen show that 95% of black women who voted went for Hillary and 3% went for Trump, what should I do? Sell my soul to Democrats to date who I'm attracted to, date someone I'm not attracted to with good morals, or live the rest of my life single and or gay. Here's the thing. If it involves sex, sp- just abandon new principles. Just tell her anything she wants to hear, get the girl, and then later you can reveal to her you're a Republic. No, I don't know what <laughs> It's like there's a there's a girl for every boy in the world and a boy for every girl. Find find the black girl who lied to the pollsters, because I bet there are a lot of them and voted and voted for Trump. Um, all right, from Michael Dearborn. Hello, Supreme Highest Absolute Commander and Overlord of the Universe. <sighs> <laughs> Since you are familiar with, you didn't have to be that well. Yes, you did. Since you are familiar with Hollywood and regularly evaluate the arts, I'm really c- curious on your opinion of recent Christian films over the past few years. Movies like Fireproof, Woodlawn, Courageous, What If, and God's Not Dead. They've become more mainstream and even had some great box office success. Enormous box office success compared to. You always have to compare box office success. With production costs, right? Not just how much it costs to produce the movie, but also how much it costs to promote the movie, which usually doubles the budget. These Christian movies, some of them have been put together on a shoestring and have made a fortune. These aren't stereotypically hokey and cheesy Christian films. Um, They seem to have captured a market. His question is, uh, these films tap into a pretty specific market of Christians and don 't seem widely accessible to the general culture, so are these films just a waste of time uh, you know because they don 't reach out here 's the thing i don't particularly like these movies i I got to be honest with you they 're a little bit pat for me um, you know all, every, Jesus solves everybody 's problems in the end everybody 's happy, even if they die, people are happy you know I mean in god 's not dead, somebody dies, but it 's okay because he converts at the last minute and he goes to heaven. You know, that doesn't look very lifelike to me. My feeling about these films is they are like romantic comedies for women, where in a romantic comedy, everything, you know, the woman gets her job, and she gets her man, and the man apologizes for everything, and it's kind of like it's it's porn for women, you know. I mean, it's like everything is, you know, yeah, should women have movies like that? Why not? Why shouldn't they have their fantasies? You know, why shouldn't Christians have movies for them? To reach out, you got to make Movies that actually look like life. Because God is God of the real world, not of fantasy land. And and I think that what I like to see, I like to see movies like Revenant, which I thought was a deeply Christian film. When I pointed out in a blog that it was a deeply Christian film, I I got comments for a week. Hundreds and hundreds of comments telling me I was crazy, it was violent, it was ugly and all that. It was violent. It was ugly. Just like life, you know. And yet it was a deeply Christian film. And I'd like to see more films like that. But I have nothing, there's nothing wrong with... To me, with making these films for the Christian market, if people enjoy them, why not? It's a, you know Hollywood's a business. All right, that's the mailbag, and that is the week. The week is over. Thanksgiving is coming. I'll leave you with this. Uh, you know, last week on the mailbag, I think it was last week, somebody asked me the best advice I could give a teenager, and I said, try to make sense. You know, and, and what I meant by that is try to live your life so that you have integrity, so that the things you believe and the way you act come together. At Thanksgiving, just remember, try to remember this that. Thank is a transitive verb, which which means that it needs requires an object. There are verbs that don't require object, like run. You can say I run, and that's the entire sentence. But if you say use a transitive verb like. Uh, deny or love, you have to add what you deny and what you love. I deny this. I love so-and-so. Thank is a transitive verb. You have to thank somebody. If you are grateful for anything this Thanksgiving, if you are grateful for your health or the fact that you have enough food to eat or the fact that somebody loves you or your job is going well or whatever it is that you're thankful for, just remember, you got to be grateful to somebody. And everything in modern life is meant to erase that somebody from your life. So... Try to take about two minutes. Just walk off by yourself and say thank you to the one you're actually thankful for. It will pay you back in dividends of joy. We will leave you. We watched Glory, uh, a little bit of Glory yesterday. This movie had one of my favorite scores by a guy named James Horner, a very famous uh, composer who did uh, the music for Titanic and The Wrath of Khan and Avatar and died tragically two years ago in a plane crash. This is one of the great scores of all time, especially the closing credits. We will leave it at that. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I was serious, even though I was cracking up about don't drive <laughs> after you drink. That's why God gave you Uber. This is why God, in his yeah. wisdom, invented Uber. Go home with a cab. Have a wonderful time. Don't kill your family members who voted for Hillary Clinton. Just sabotage them emotionally. I will see you on Monday. I'm Andrew Klavan. This is The Andrew Claven Show.